0: I trust that that is your desire and your prayer, that you will allow God to finish what He started in your life to the very end. I'm going to be preaching from the book of Luke, chapter 19. I'm actually going to preach from the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter. That will save about 10 minutes of time. I do want to read one verse that kind of sums up that chapter. From Luke chapter 19, verse 47, the Bible says, After that, and I'm going to preach about that, but after that, he taught daily in the temple. But the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. Father, I am nothing, but I thank you for this privilege and opportunity that's been given to me to share your word May you anoint your word and accomplish what you please. And we will give you all the glory and the honor and the praise because we love you with all our heart. Amen and amen. Is there anyone here this morning that believes that Jesus is coming back soon for his bride, the church? Okay, quite a few hands. Amen. Does anyone know exactly when that's going to happen? Okay, no, no. Because Jesus said, none of us know the day or the hour. But we do know the season. And I don't have time to get into all of that since most of you raised your hands. I'm just going to assume that most of you believe that he's coming soon. I will tell you one thing. The greatest miracle that has ever taken place since the resurrection of Jesus Christ was celebrated two weeks ago in the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 68, the Bible says, never before and never again will a nation be born in one day. But in the last days, the nation of Israel will be reborn. Two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, May 14th, in Israel, they celebrated 75 years since that miracle took place. 75 years And then 19 years later, the Israeli soldiers took over the city of Jerusalem and it was restored. The Bible said in Matthew 24, that would happen in a time and in a generation that would see the end of the church age and the beginning of the millennial. We're living in the last days. If you really stop and think about it, we're about a decade away from 2,000 years from when the angel said, this same Jesus that you've seen go up into the clouds will come again in like manner. We're living so close to the coming of the Lord. I believe that we're within a decade of that time taking place. And if that is true, then the most important question that maybe we need to ask ourselves today is... What should be my priority in these last days? Luke chapter 19 establishes what our priorities should be. There are five different scenarios or five different storylines that are found in the gospel of, of Luke chapter 19. From chapter 18 of Luke, we know that Jesus is headed back to Jerusalem where he knows he's going to be betrayed and be crucified. In fact, he tells his disciples, we've we've got to go back to Jerusalem so everything can be fulfilled according to the Father's plan and the Father's will. And so they are leaving Jericho and on their way to Jerusalem and on that journey, a young man comes up to him. We know him kind of in the church as the rich young ruler. And he says, what must I do? you know, to inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, well, you've got to obey the commandments. And he, of course, with pride says, I've obeyed all the commandments from my youth. Jesus had compassion upon him, but he saw something was still needed. And he said, you're lacking in one area. He said, go sell all that you've got and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the key there is not Giving up everything that he had, although that is important. But it's following the Lord. Do you know you can't be a part of his kingdom unless you're willing to follow him? Unless you're willing to forsake the life you have been living and come into a life that he has planned for you since the beginning of time. Do you realize every one of you, God, has a purpose for your life? Every one of you, God, has a plan for your life? Every one of you, before you were ever kicking in your mother's womb, he knew you according to the Scriptures, and he had a plan for your life. And unfortunately, the rich young ruler wanted heaven, but he didn't want to follow Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people that would go to heaven if they could go without following Jesus. In fact, we got a world of them in the church in America where they, they would love to go to heaven when they die. But they don't want to follow Jesus while they're alive. And then as they continued the journey, they come across a blind man who, recognizing that Jesus is passing by and that he's the Messiah, Messiah, begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now the disciples are trying to shut him up. But Jesus heard the cry. The disciples don't understand what's going on, but... That blind man had more vision than they did. He knew that the Messiah, when he called him the son of David, he was calling him the Messiah. He said, Messiah, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, I want to be able to see. And Jesus opened his eyes and he began to see. But not only did he begin to see, he joined the caravan. Back to Jerusalem. He did what the rich young ruler was not willing to do. He followed Jesus. Somebody say amen. And then chapter 19 begins. And it begins with the story of Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus, depending on how you want to pronounce it. When I was growing up in Sunday school, it was Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Savior to see. Then, when Jesus passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house for tea. I never understood that. Why was he going to his house for tea? Somebody's phone is ringing. Is that mine? It is not. You have permission to answer. If it's God, say hello. And what do you want? Because God never speaks to anyone with, without a plan and a purpose. Amen. 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 So, as Jesus is still on his way to Jerusalem, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today to fellowship with you. And the Bible then describes something miraculous taking place. Zacchaeus, who is a tax collector, which is bad enough, but he was a thief on top of that, which is even worse. Some people think that's the same thing. Not necessarily. But he says, Jesus, (laughs) everything I've done wrong, I want to make right. And everyone I've cheated, I'm going to give back to them. I'm I'm going to make restitution for everything I've done wrong. And Jesus said, salvation has come to Zacchaeus today. I want to tell you, when you really decide to follow Jesus, there's some things you may have to make right. We call it restitution. There's some things we may have to go back and say, you know, I really screwed up here. And if I have the ability to, I'm going to make it right. The good news is that there's a lot of things we've done we have no ability to ever go back and make right. And that's all right because of the grace of God. Somebody say, I'm glad for grace. Because there's a lot of things I've done I cannot make right. There's people I've offended. I can't even go to them because they're not here anymore. But the grace of God has covered my sins. It has given me new purpose and new life and freedom in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Zacchaeus is born again and becomes a follower of Jesus. Now, the people, the religious people that happen to be hanging around, they're upset. They're upset because Jesus is going to go to Zacchaeus's house and entertain him and minister to him. And you'll always find religious folk who will find fault. Hello? Jesus then clearly says, I have come to seek and save that which was lost. He said, I didn't come for the religious folk. I came for those who need me. I came for those who realize that they need me. I came for those who want to be forgiven of their sins. I came for those who are lost. And it's important that we understand that as chapter 19 begins here. Because he's on his way to go to Jerusalem and die upon the cross so that our sins can be forgiven. And and, and the religious folk are, are upset with him because he's spending some time with someone that they see as a rank sinner. I want to tell you something. Jesus came to save the lost. And and Paul said that we're to become like Jesus. We need to be about the business of saving the lost. And though the world would say uh, Zacchaeus is not worthy of salvation, look at what a rank sinner he is. I'm here to tell you this morning, uh, there is no one that is beyond the reach of God Almighty. There is no one that cannot be reached. There is no one who Jesus cannot save. Uh, there is nothing that you have done or that anyone else has done uh, that is, uh, that is unable to come under the blood of Jesus Christ and enable new life to begin. I want to tell you I've been through a few things in my life. There's a guy in heaven today who murdered my sister. It was her husband but he's in heaven today. Why? Because Jesus forgave him of his sins and washed it away and my sister and him are both in heaven today. You see, that's a crazy story. Yes it is. Grace is crazy but thank God for Grace. We can never do anything so bad that he would not reach out to us and want to minister to us. And the church needs to understand the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, God help us to know that no one is beyond redemption. Therefore, we must continue to reach out to everyone. Can you say amen? The second storyline is the parable of the Minas. A nobleman who had been rejected by his servants was going away was going to be coming back, and, and he gave a mina to each one of his servants and said, I'll be back in a while. And he goes away. They tell me that a mina is basically about four months' worth of wages. So he invested in them four months' worth of wages. Do you know... And that just makes me think about the fact that Jesus said, don't say four months and then comes the harvest. But the harvest is ripe right now. But he gave them four months to do something with the investment he had made in them. And he comes back. The nobleman comes back and one of the servants comes to him and he's had a tenfold increase. He's turned four four months of wages into 10 times that amount. And Jesus, or the nobleman says, well done, good and faithful servant. Another servant comes to him and he, he's had a five-fold increase. But there was one servant who comes to him and says, you know, I know you're a hard man and so I just, I just took those four months of wages and, and buried it in the ground and here it is. I don't know what your first thought was, but my first thought was, well, was he living off of food stamps for four months? What in the world did he... Why did he bury it in the ground? He did nothing with that investment. But the whole purpose of the story is is for us to understand that when Jesus went away, he made an investment in us. Hello? Actually, he said, I'm coming back, and I'll settle accounts. And we will be held accountable for the investment he's made in us. Now, my wife has already said, you know, Everyone's not a preacher, at least not from a pulpit. Actually, everyone should be a preacher. If you're saved, if you're born again, if you're filled with the Spirit, this is Pentecost Sunday. The purpose of Pentecost is to make you a preacher. If you did not understand that, that's what it's all about. It says to make you a living witness of the truth of Jesus Christ, to be his light in this world. And so it is important that we understand that. Jesus has made an investment in every one of us. I already told you. He had a purpose for your life. And he doesn't give up on that purpose, no matter how far you run. No matter, I had a, I had a brother-in-law one time, not the one that murdered my, my sister, but I had another brother-in-law one time who was called to preach. And, and uh, he was under conviction, and he decided that Ohio wasn't a good place to be because there were too many people here in this state praying for him. And so he ran to Arizona, moved out there, spent about a year out there. After a year, he came back. I said, why'd you come back? He said, because I got out there and found out God has people out there too. And I couldn't get away. I kept hearing the call on my life. And so as a middle-aged man, he, he accepted the call into the ministry and began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and pastored a couple different churches during, during his lifetime after that. I want to tell you something. God has made an investment in every one of us. That's what we need to get out of Luke 19. But there will come a time when we're going to have to stand accountable for that investment. Did we just bury it in the ground? Or did we use what God has invested in us for kingdom work and to make a difference in the lost? Hallelujah. We are the treasure. But he's also put a treasure within us. And we need to be about the Father's business. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Then there's a third storyline. And that's one that we've all heard probably, or most all of us, many times. It was the processional into Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday because they laid branches down and Jesus rode in on a donkey. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's such a beautiful story. The people are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're, they're rejoicing. As the Messiah is coming into town, they're literally having a parade, and they're worshiping God. There's only one problem, and the problem was they were worshiping in ignorance. They were worshiping because they thought that Jesus was coming to town to deliver them from the Roman Empire and to make their life more comfortable. And that wasn't why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to physically save them at that point. He came to spiritually save them, to offer them life in his spiritual kingdom. So they're having this parade, and they're shouting, and they're praising God. And We hear sermons about that all the time. What we fail to realize is that if you read Luke 19, Jesus is weeping. As he approaches the city of Jerusalem, he's not going, whoo, this is cool, what a ride. The Bible said he's weeping, he's crying. Why? He's crying because he says they don't understand. They're blind to the truth. They don't realize I'm not coming so that they can live a more free or comfortable life from the Romans. I'm coming to save them and give them freedom. That is far more important than their physical freedom. I want to tell you, you can be physically free and spiritually bound and you're miserable. I know, I've been there a couple times in my life. You can have everything your heart desires and still be miserable if you're bound on the inside. And you don't have the peace that passeth understanding that the Bible talks about. And so... While they're celebrating his entry into Jerusalem, he's weeping and crying. He says, I'm weeping because they're going to miss their divine appointment because they don't really know who I am. Oh, they know that I'm the Messiah, but they don't understand my purpose and my plan. I've met a lot of Christians that don't understand his purpose and plan or their purpose and plan. Jesus is weeping. It it was a parade to death for him, but he was willing to do it for those who would believe. Aren't you glad you're a believer this morning if you are? If you're not, you need to be. You should be. You need to. You need to become a believer before you leave this place this morning because we are living in the last days, and we don't know when the rapture is going to take place, but, but we know that we're in that season. Amen. The fourth storyline is that when Jesus finally gets to the temple, <laughs> he's not setting up his kingdom. He's chasing the money changers out of the temple. Remember that story? Do you realize that that's the same day of of Palm Sunday? That's the Sunday before the crucifixion. That's the same day that they were having a a parade. He comes in and runs the money changers out of the temple. he said, my house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. And as a little boy, I thought the, the reason he was upset was because they weren't giving the correct change. But the truth of the matter is the reason he was upset was because they were missing the whole point of why they were going to the temple. According to the Jewish laws and customs they were to bring sacrifices from their home to the temple to offer up sacrifices to God. But instead they had set up a plan where they could use a little money, buy a a sacrifice that is already there that cost them nothing except for a a, a little bit of money and then offer up. Their religious obligations and go about their way, never realizing that the whole purpose of the sacrifice was to prepare them for the sacrificial lamb that would hang upon the cross. It wasn't just that they were thieves, they really, their biggest sin was they were trying to make religion comfortable. But I tell you, we're living in a time where churches in America are trying to make religion comfortable. Oh, believe, believe whatever you want. You know, do anything you want to do. It's, it's okay. God loves you. God's, God's full of grace. Just live any way you want to live. It's, a, it's okay. They were trying to make it comfortable to satisfy the law without understanding the, fulfill, the fulfillment of the law was right in their presence. And that he was getting ready to die on the cross for them. So, they got upset. You know, the same, many of the same people, I'm, I'm convinced that were shouting Hosanna on Palm Sunday. We're shouting Thursday night, crucify him! It's amazing how sometimes the religious people can turn on you so quickly if you don't go along with them. It's kind of like the society that we live in today. You can offend anyone at any time for any reason. Everybody wants acceptance, but they're offended by everything. What a crazy world we're living in. And it is a crazy world. The Bible said it would be crazy. In fact, the Bible described it as being perilous. You open your mouth. At your own peril. (laughs) One of my children put a song on Facebook the other day and it must have offended somebody because they deleted it. Who deleted it? Facebook deleted it. They deleted the content because it said something about the blood of Jesus. God, help us to understand the times that we're living in. (laughs) It's not a joke. Jesus is coming soon. And our job is not to make people feel more comfortable, although we all want to feel more comfortable. I do. I love comfort. You can tell by looking at me, I like to eat. I like comfort. But God's plan for our life isn't just about comfort. He will comfort us. But He's more concerned that we're taking the investment that He put in us and doing something with it. Those talents, those gifts, those abilities. My goodness. There's so many ministry opportunities that are needed today. We've got them right here in our own church. You know, we got about 250, 300 people coming to this church when it's not a holiday. And yet, we don't have a young adult leader. Pastor Bob's happened to help work with our our teens, which he did for 18 years before he became senior pastor. We've got all kinds of opportunities for ministry. But it hasn't become our priority because even though we know how to worship, can I tell you something? I see people on TV who are full of the devil that enjoy gospel music. You turn on a country music program, And they're up jitterbugging and singing and having a big time. And some of them may know Jesus. I believe some of them do. But I know many of them do not. You know, it's kind of like when the Jews were captive in Babylon and the Babylonians were saying, Hey, sing some of those Jewish songs for us. We love the dance. We love the timbrel. We love to rejoice. We got churches today that that worship is fantastic, except they don't know what they're worshiping about. Because worship without obedience is blasphemy. The purpose of worship is to not make us feel better. It does. I will admit that. I love worship. My favorite day on family vacation is when we we all get together in a a little condo room and and sing and worship the Lord and praise. That's my favorite day of vacation, you know, because my family loves to sing, and and, uh, most of them are pretty talented. And I am comforted by the fact that we're able to sing and rejoice together. But it wouldn't mean anything if they weren't living for Jesus, if they didn't know the Lord, if their walk wasn't straight. One of the crab singers said one time, it's not walking on water that you need to do. You need to walk straight on land. Yeah. Worship is wonderful, and it does comfort me, but it doesn't comfort me when the people who are carrying on and having a big time are literally making a mockery of what that's really all about. And we see it in churches today. We see it on television. We see it in movies, you know. John Belusi wasn't the first person that did flip-flops down a center aisle of a church. Some of you don't get that. Too young. Blues brothers. They were on a mission, but they weren't on God's mission. Help us to understand. That if we're living in the last days, then our worship has to be more than just coming to church and singing songs and feeling good. Worship is really not about music. It is about service to the king. And so worship is something that we do every day. And I don't mean singing along in your car with a, with a CD. Do they still have them? Okay. or Whatever you're using. No, I, I, I mean... Loving people, helping people, honoring people, ministering to people. Why? Why? Because that's what he's called us to do. The only way I can truly bless the Lord is by being obedient to Him. And He has called us to be people helpers and people who care about others and are trying to help people find what we've already found, which is the Bible says in Revelation, the Spirit and the bride say, Come, come, come and drink of the water of life freely so that you will never thirst again. That's what He's called us to. Our goal cannot be to make church comfortable. Although those churches fill up. No, our goal has to be to love people into the kingdom of God. And then the final storyline. And I'm about to close. And he was teaching daily in the temple. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, beaten, and crucified at the end of the week. But on Monday morning, he was back in the temple teaching and preaching sharing the truth. On Tuesday morning, he was back in the temple preaching and teaching and ministering to anyone who would listen to him. Wednesday morning, you know where he was at? No, he wasn't at a prayer breakfast somewhere. He prayed at night while everyone else was sleeping. Wednesday morning, he wasn't another church growth conference. He wasn't even organizing the disciples to know how to establish the church. You read about the history of the church. (laughs) If it wasn't for the Holy Ghost, the church would have died. That's a truth. They spent three, maybe three and a half years with Jesus, but he did not spend the last couple days of his life on this planet, before he was crucified, trying to organize another event for the church. And nothing wrong with any of that. Don't misunderstand me. Especially if those events lead to opportunities to share the love of Jesus with people. Well, what was he doing in his last moments? He, he wasn't spending it with the disciples. He was spending it in the tabernacle. He was spending it in the temple, rather, where people come searching for God. And he said, I'm here. Hear what I've got to say. And he spent the last few days before he's crucified preaching and teaching to some of the very people who would reject him. And he knew they would reject him. He knew they would not accept him. But he was sharing the truth anyway. God, help us to understand that we have to tell people the truth, not beat them up, not slander them, not mock them, not condemn them, not tell them what reprobates they are. But we've got to tell them the truth. We've got to tell them there's life, and that life is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. No politician's going to save you. I don't care if he's Democrat, Republican, Independent. I don't care. No no politician's going to save you. Jesus is the only one that can save you. Cracks me up when I hear people say, Pastor Nip, maybe we should get rid of all of our money and buy gold. Hey, when the government tells you what you can and cannot buy, it won't matter whether you have paper money or you have gold or you have silver or you have diamonds or you have any of that. You have no control anymore when the Antichrist takes over. What we need to be doing is using our resources to reach as many people as we can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer is not bomb shelters. The answer is altars. And we need to take advantage of every opportunity we have to love the people that God loves, which is all of them. Oh, Jesus, help us. He spent the last few days of his earthly life ministering to people, many of whom would not accept him. But for the sake of those that would, he continued to tell the truth. Church, we need to understand the story of Zacchaeus and not think anyone's unreachable. We need to understand the story of the meanness and understand that God has made an investment in us and we will be held accountable for that. What we've done with that investment. We need to understand that the, that the parade in, into Jerusalem <laughs> was a parade to Calvary. We need to understand that the church wasn't established just to feed and clothe people, which is a good thing. But it's there to tell them the truth. And the truth is there is no other way under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, except through the name of Jesus. Jesus is the only mediator between God and men, and people have to understand that. No, it's not, well, this is a good way, and that's a good way, and here's another good way, and and all you religious folks, you know, hey, I don't want to be a part of the religious folks. I just want people to know I have a relationship with Jesus, and because he has transformed my life, I want others to be able to experience and have what I have found in the Lord. And then we need to know that whatever time we've got left. An old King James verse in Luke 19 says, Occupy till I come. What does that mean? It literally means keep making investments. Keep making investments in what, with what I've given you until I come back for you. I'm so glad he's coming back for me. Aren't you? I said, I'm so glad he's coming back for me. But I want my family to be there. This is a holiday weekend. We're going into the summer season. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to spend time with family folks. Well, I don't spend any time with my family folk. They're all heathens. to spend time with heathens you don't have to be a heathen to entertain them with god's love hello (laughs) during COVID a couple years ago we had a we have a family get together on the third sunday in july not excuse me not sunday saturday in july our family reunion we call it christmas in july Some people were afraid to get out and spend any time with anyone during COVID and I I don't want to go into all of that but the point is we had about 60, 70 of our relatives show up and I just said, I just want you to know, know, I don't know where this COVID's going but I know where I'm going and I want you to know where you're going because we're living in the last days. Some of you I saw you in a hospital room. In fact, one of those little girls out there, one of the little monk girls, I held her in my hands when she weighed about two pounds. I put my head into that incubator and held her and prayed for her. And they didn't know if she was going to live or die, but her parents knew she was going to live, and I knew she was going to live because she and her sister were both promises of God. Break my heart if I see you come into this world not knowing you were ready to leave it, and to be with Jesus and with family and with friends for eternity. Would you bow your head with me? Father, I cannot close this service without at least giving someone an opportunity. to experience the life that you always planned for them. But there's nothing that they've done that will keep them from you except them. They have to make the decision. Jesus, deal with their hearts and help them to have a desire to come to know you. In your name I pray. Amen.